Welcome to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast, the podcast for serious soccer players and their supporters to help further their development and navigate their way throughout their soccer careers. And now, here's your host, Matt Langoni. Welcome to another episode of New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Today we'll be joined by Aztec Soccer Junior Boys Director Jeff Winterton. Jeff, thanks so much for taking time on uh, on a busy day for you, I know, here in, uh, here in January. Every day is a busy day, Matt. <laughs> thanks. thanks for having me. <laughs> it is, and obviously um, big things are happening with Aztec. It's been, it's been a program that has developed a lot of notoriety in Massachusetts and beyond. It's been around for a, a long time. You've been with the club for a while, um, but you guys have some new structure, some new ownership going on, some exciting things going on, so... Before we jump into kind of the on-field successes and all that stuff, why don't you tell us about uh, a little bit about what's going on structurally with with Aztec right now and how things have changed a little bit? Well, Matt, like like you said, we've been we've been around for a while. Founded in 1999, I've been here since the beginning, so yeah. I've seen every iteration, so to speak, of of Aztec Soccer Club. And we've entered a new phase. We were purchased, or yeah, I guess purchased by the Three Step Group, which is a pretty big sports management group based out of Andover. And that happened as we transitioned into this year, into the 23-24. So happy to say that the on-field experience for our families, as the three-step group has kind of, um, you know, told us, it just hasn't changed too much. We feel like there's a good deal of support from a group as large as theirs to, if it is, especially on the business side, to just of things. But on-field, the guys over there have pledged that we're going to be able to run Aztec the way we've run it for years. That we might have to tighten up a few things on the financial side, but it won't affect the players' experience and, and families' experience. So so far, that's that's come to fruition, and it's it's it started out pretty well. That that's going to be refreshing to hear too from from up top because anytime there's like a structural change like that or, or an ownership change, I mean, you wonder what that means for the for the near future and the long term future. Uh, and like you said, you've been with Aztec for forever, I mean, for two decades. So you've seen the club grow. You've seen what it's become um, kind of a North Shore stable. I live in the North Shore, actually, Massachusetts. So I'm, you know, I'm super familiar with Aztec. I know a lot of kids who play for the club. Um, how have things progressed over the last two decades? How, how, how has the club really grown and what kind of imprint has it made? I mean, we started as a community-based club focused on player development. What what you want to make of that now is there's so many... this. A lot of history that's been written, but right. really it was it was largely not seeking short-term gain by promoting and achieving results at the younger ages, giving them a good foundation. And we've often hired, I'd say mostly hired coaches and directors into the club that that do share that same developmental philosophy. So I'm calling this Aztec 5.0, if I'm being honest, <laughs> you know, going from, and I've been here for the, for the 20 years. So from the beginning, it was pretty familial project. Mike Kirster started the program and I was there and Kenny Finn and we had a great group of, of players and coaches and started small. We had two teams. We did clinics for a couple of years, did two teams the first year. And then we were proud when we grew it in what we thought was a full service soccer club, starting at U8, ending at U18, a semi-pro team above that, boys and girls. And we, again, in the, in the early days, we, that was a, an achievement. We felt like we had a solid foundation for the, the players that we wanted to develop on the North Shore. As things evolved and, and changed, we we brought in different great coaches and directors who come in and use soccer, club soccer. Most most coaches come and have a cup of coffee and then move on to to another club. So that certainly happened as well. We haven't been immune to that. But one of the things we we've done pretty well from a standpoint of just customer relations and and 
quality of product, we've been pretty insular. There's not a lot of, we've, we've been, obviously other clubs have tried to chip away at what we do here, but I think we've been true to our message, true to the, 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 the core of our community. And, and I think that's been appreciated. So now that we've moved into what I call version 5.0, it does, it, it, it challenged me, challenged me a little bit as a fiercely independent proud Aztec. I mean, I bleed Aztec. I've been here for 20 years and full-time since 2006. So, right. but certainly having a behemoth corporate sports management group, I feel like they're behemoth, they're probably not <laughs> above us. It certainly, it was unsettling in the beginning, but the guys that are running the soccer program at Three Step, Ian Burgess and Paul Willis, and I've known them for 20 years. Um, Paul Baber, I've known for a little while. And when we sat down in their first meeting, they were, they said it straight up. They, they, they appreciated what we've done as a club. We've, we've, carved out a niche on the North Shore. We've created a couple other regions in the New Hampshire and, and kind of closer to Boston. And they, you know, they like I said, they've been true to their word. They said right then they, they were interested in us because of what we brought to the table, our reputation, like on the North Shore. Mm-hmm. And so I'm happy to say so far, it, the evolution is certainly, it's it's not been anything different from what we've done previously. So it, it's we're in a pretty good place. Yeah, I feel like I grew up in Beverly, and I played with Mike Kershka's younger brothers. Actually, I played with Pete. And I, played, I played with Matt. So yeah, and and oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so I I knew the family growing. We used to have high school team. We used to have pasta parties at their house pre-game night, nights before games. So I feel like I've watched the club really evolve over the years. And I remember when it started, and it, it's it's really great that it's maintained its presence in the North Shore and given kind of North Shore kids that that ability to play. High level club soccer, but not have to travel obscene uh, amounts of miles to to go find it. You you guys don't have the the ECL platform or the or the girls academy platform right within the club, but you're still you're still finding successes. H- how is it hard, or or how difficult is it to navigate the club scene and not kind of offer those platforms that people are kind of just running to, whether it's MLS Next, whether it's whether it's ECL. How, how do you navigate that whole thing? I think again, it goes down to player development. I think yeah. we've been true to our message and true to the core of what we've tried to do. So we have teams that can compete at those levels. I mean, I think most of the central top teams, we compete in the USYS, New England region of the EDP. I don't know. It's a, a terribly unsexy name for a league, but <laughs> uh, it doesn't stand up to the, right. to, the to the ECNL as far as marketing. But the level of competition is quite good. And incidentally, we took a, a few teams down to a, a Jacksonville tournament, Jacksonville football club. And matched up against Southern ECNL and MLS Next teams. And all of our teams achieved results down there. Our 2011s went undefeated. And those are against some of the best teams in the South region. So we're putting out teams that, that can play and compete at that level. It's, it's just a strange thing with, as club soccer and, and, and league management and how politics play a little bit of a part in it. I think, if I'm being honest, we probably missed a window when version 2.0. Yeah. Um, to have maybe stepped into the into the breach that we didn't maybe recognize at the time, and since then it's been difficult to kind of wiggle our way in. There's there's power brokers at all those levels, and we've we've certainly made our way through. And and I guess our USYS um, league, the national league that we're in, is is quite good. So we're giving our players meaningful matches at high levels. We're developing high school all stars. Like if you look at the Salem Evening News and the, the Gloucester Times, I mean, littered with Aztec. Right, right. Develop players. And I think our families, everybody has the internet now, so there's no hiding what opportunities are out there. But I think you you, you hit on it. A, a lot of those families would have to drive past our practice, travel another hour, 
just to chase those four letters. Right. right? It's ECNL. I mean, again, MLS Next is a different ball of wax. We really celebrate when we can push players on to that level. Mm -hmm. But we we do feel like our top teams are competitive, uh, you know, at the ECL level. I mean, if you look at our girls, um, our team's coached by Mokita. They're fantastically successful. Like I said, we just brought some junior boys teams down to, to, to Florida and matched up against ECNL and MLS Next team. So I think it's about parent education i think many of them stay because like you said they don't have to drive far and they're getting a great product and great experience and those that do leave you know we certainly wish them well and, and would welcome them back but we understand you know where we are in the pyramid and i think we've still done a pretty good job developing players here yeah i mean i i believe you have two on the girls side don't you have two division one commits on the uh the 07 team you have uh uh georgia proudy right and um ava Capic is it capico I believe so. Yeah, uh, yeah. Jo Georgia Proudy start. Yeah, Georgia Proudy started in my program when I ran the junior academy. Yep. So you, you eight, you nine, you ten. They've been here. She's been here since the beginning. Yep. And I will. I don't want to speak out of turn, but I feel sure. like we're going to have from that 07 and 08 group, and, and even our 09 girls group is very strong. I think we're going to have. I think it's going to be surprising how many commits we get yep. in, in relation to how people perceive the ECNL being the only path towards that high level collegiate experience, and I think. I think that's going to hopefully channel some of those families in the area from from making a run to far, far an right. hour past our practice and, and realize that we're offering really, really high level, impactful training experience here. Yeah. Do you think there's like a, a sense of pride for some of these North Shore players to be able to do this, play at a high level, ultimately get to where they want to be at the next level and be able to do it with their club in their backyard and not necessarily i thought you had a great a great phrase where you know chasing those four letters because that's like i feel like that's that's what it is i mean it's it's not different than a, a high caliber high school player chasing division one and not maybe looking at the bigger picture and seeing maybe d1's not my fit maybe d2 or d3 is my fit and just kind of acknowledging where you are what you can do and making the most of it do you feel like within aztec there's that pride with these players that play for this club yeah, there's a there's a couple components here though to touch on Matt. First is is that the cost of the life um, cost. How how many players really want to be doing homework in the car? Right. Um, and for what and for what end? And how many parents want their kids to be doing that too? Right. Or want or want to be driving through right. traffic to get to Newton when they could have just stopped off at soccer, et cetera, in Beverly. Right. Uh, rest in peace. <laughs> I know. I miss um, that place, man. And so, but then, but then there's the, the fact we've been turning out division one, division two, division three collegiate players since our inception. One of the things that Mike Kirster started and Jared Scarpacci and, and Mike Betancourt are, are carrying it over is this fantastic college mentoring program that we have. We, we provide our families. That's the, that's the pointy end of what we're, of what we're in the business for. And so much as we tell our younger players, look, we're trying to prepare you for high school and hope that you might go on to the university or collegiate as a player. We we help them get there as students. So a lot of our families realize that we're there for holistic support. We don't send them to colleges that they wouldn't be otherwise wishing to attend. But it is, a, it, I think, for this new generation, if we're calling it point 5.0, there is a, a, a risk. And, and now we're seeing the reward. So a lot of those families could have chosen a different path and stuck with Aztec. And now, and now they're seeing kind of the benefit from that from that decision so we're ecstatic we're so happy for the families but we do expect this not to be a, a one-off we expect this to begin to again beginning of a a wave of 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 our student athletes achieving that success like you said having not traveled uh into the far reaches of massachusetts for for their training
Jeff, you got me all nostalgic when you mentioned soccer, et cetera. That was, man, those were two of my favorite youth birthday parties. I went to just having having a birthday party at soccer, et cetera, just getting 20 kids in there and playing pickup soccer. It was, it was awesome. I, I missed those days. I raised both of my kids in there. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> you know, and, and played many a game there yep. and had, had a lot of experiences. Yeah. So. Yeah. Why, what has been like, what is been the driving force to get you to stay with Aztec for so long. I mean, you you know how ever changing the club landscape is. I mean, you're you know sometimes you're looking for new challenges, sometimes you're looking, at, you know, opportunities arise. But you've been with Aztec kind of through thick and thin here for two decades. What's the driving force that you really appreciate the most? I mean, I've been here since the beginning, so this uh, I think a lot of the club might represent some of my personality and some of my emphasis as a soccer coach and director. Mm-hmm. And, and I I had a wild experience growing up with soccer as part of my my it's just part of my life from the beginning even in the 70s my grandfather was a club president my father was an interim club president when I was in Springfield Massachusetts I moved to a a, a town in upstate New York called Clifton Park where there was 35,000 people in their town but they had three A-level licensed coaches and this is in 1984 so player development was like just what I knew. I had always known I wanted to be a coach. I started when I was 15. And I guess maybe my my loyalty comes a little bit from my grandfather as well. He spent 50 plus years at the same institution, the, the, the Springfield Institution for Savings as a bank. He started off as an inkwell filler, ended up in as executive vice president. So I think that message and, and I don't know, that, that sort of pride that he had in, in, in his loyalty, I think, certainly extends to how I'd, I'd hope to carry myself because he was a, he was a great man. And, and so I guess all, all of those life experiences, but I've never, I've not, I've not really thought about leaving. It's just, it's, it's provided me and my family with a good work-life balance. It's not like there's a lot of money in, in coaching youth soccer, but it, it certainly has served that side as well. And I, I think one of the things is I've looked at how we've treated our players and treated the community. And it's been something I've, I've always taken pride in. So I think there's a lot of reasons, but that that that, that might sum it up. Yeah. Another uh, fascinating thing I think about Aztec is you guys have players who are like multi-sport athletes a lot of times, too. I know there's been some players come through the club who have excelled at, at other things, not just soccer. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, my, my son's 12, my oldest son, and he's he's like, he's he's young still, obviously, but he's playing three sports. And like, you know, the, he's always like, well, I have to give one of these up at some point. But, you know. A lot of people you talk to say the more sports you play, the the better off you are. The better off your 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 coordination, your personality might be because you're you're in different buckets. You're not just in the same bucket. Where a lot of these clubs, these high level clubs, quote unquote, everyone they're playing just that sport and nothing else. But do you guys make a point at Aztec to, um, uh, you know, help tell these players that it's fine. You want to be a multi-sport athlete? That's fine. You you can you can be an Aztec player, but you can also be a basketball player. You can be a lacrosse player. You can do other things. We do, Matt, yeah. and, and explicitly, we we assure our younger families, especially that we're we appreciate, we understand that the multi-sport athlete is is generally regarded as as a as a more well-rounded human being. We, yeah. we we also consider other extracurricular activities as well. We do ask for an honest effort to commit. Sure. Commitment's one of our core values, and it's something that we know. And we'll tell the family straight up, you're missing practice a week. You're going to get better. You're going to get less better. Yeah. You're not yeah. going to get more right. better. Right. But, but, but we don't put any pressure on them from that regard. It is age and stage appropriate, though. So our top-level players on our top-level teams, especially in the senior level, 
we, we do ask for that commitment mm-hmm. and we, we recognize that life will get in the way at times. But if you're really looking to make that push to be a high school all-star collegiate player, there's a, there is a, a, a level of commitment and sometimes sacrifice you have to make, but I wouldn't call it pressure on them, but you know, we certainly have attendance goals for, for those teams more so than say that our, our eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, stage one, stage two players, we offer two, two, three training sessions a week for all of our players year round. And we tell a lot of them, look, our expect, expectation is that you'll attend two of three. Mm-hmm. And balancing travel to soccer is important because we don't want to, we really want to be good, good stewards of our community. And that's a, a hugely important experience for our younger players and other sports. And like I said, other, other extracurricular activities as well. So we're, we're early in the year here in 2024, but what are, what are kind of some, some club goals this year for you guys? What are you hoping to see this spring as we, as, as obviously we're in kind of the cold weather portion of the calendar right now, but when, when spring rolls around and the, and season cranks back up and competitive, the you know, competitive season's back, what are you hoping to see this year from Aztec? Well, I mean, we're hard at work. We're like, we're, we're indoors. Like I said, our, right. our teams are all training two, two or three days a week, at least three and a half hours for most of our teams per week. And that's to achieve those goals. I know some of the senior teams, the girls 07s and 08s especially, are looking for success to get them into the national pathways through the USYS. There's State Cup. There's there's league play that can get you into those situations. Our 2010 boys, which I coach, have qualified for the State Cup final on May 18th. So that is certainly a, there's a pin in that on my calendar. Certainly hoping to prepare those boys for a good performance on that day. And Hopefully the process leads to success. Um, but overall, again, it's just, it, it's giving those players from, from A to Z that, that, that experience that will keep bringing them back. And yeah, for those younger players, especially, and we see it time and time again, I, I took a picture this, this fall, just of our 2012 boys and, and I'm going to keep it because I just want to see how many of those kids become high school all-stars because right. like I said, it's, if you look through, it's, it's littered with players who've just developed at the club and and their aspirations have been just to become the best player they can and the formula is pretty simple you train three days a week with good training and good players and good coaching with a good developmental model and all of a sudden five years later you're on your high school team and your coach is putting you in as a freshman and you're making an impact so right that's the story that we kind of you know it happens repeatedly well, that's great stuff. And now we're going to segue into our extra time segment of, of the podcast where Jeff, you agreed to, to take part in this. This, we don't know what we're going to get from producer David Yaz, but he's going to hit us with three random questions from the soccer world and we're going to do our best to, to answer them. So I hope you're ready for this. As, as I'll ever, as ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> it's the end of regulation. So let's move to extra time. Thank you. And uh, yeah, now I feel like a Bond villain saying what you gentlemen have agreed to. That was very, very foolish, Mr. Bond. (laughs) It is time for extra time where I throw out three questions for both Jeff and Matt. And uh, we'll start with you, Jeff, since you are the guest. First question, we'll start with an easy one. What do you remember about the first soccer goal you ever scored at any level? What What are your memories of that? Oh God, mine's, mine's, it'll take me a second, but I'll tell you about it. I I was a four-year-old when I started playing U8 in 1976 in Springfield, Massachusetts for the Brookside Soccer Club. Like I said, my family was involved in the club. I didn't score my first year. I picked daisies and watched the train go by. This was at the, (laughs) this was at the Fatima Field in Ludlow, Massachusetts. I remember it vividly. Mm. It's actually where the Pioneers, Western Mass Pioneers home stadium is. So anyways, it's maybe my second or third year playing 11 v 11. We were playing. 
the traditional two, three, five, which was in vogue there. We hadn't inverted the W yet. And the ball came into the box and I scrapped around and I, I swung my thigh at it as mightily as I could possibly could. <laughs> my father happened to be a linesman on the side of the field I was on. And he waved vigorously <laughs> that the ball had crossed the line. And since there was no VAR, it counted. But <laughs> I can't, I can't attest to the fact whether it crossed the line or not. Um, but my father was certainly sure. So I'll give him a little credit in that. But I, that's a, a, a absolutely vivid memory of, of scoring my first goal. Well, you got a good dad there. That's what dads are for. Come on, come on. He was there. He was there for everything. He, I, I lost him a few years ago, but he was. Yeah, he was there for everything. Man, that's going to be tough to top, Matt. But um, that's a great. That is a great story. But Matt's first goal. Your thoughts, man? My first goal was Beverly Youth Soccer U8, Cove Elementary School. I believe we were playing in the field behind the school, and I remember it, I, I was I was one of those kids as Jeff probably knows, knows in youth soccer. Like whoever gets the ball fastest is like you're gonna. I, I was one of those kids that just got to the ball and wanted to score. So I, I was aggressive as a young kid. <laughs> so I scored. Probably my first game, probably an ugly goal, just whatever, got to a loose ball in front of the net and kicked it in. But I remember like the just the thrill of scoring a goal mm. and seeing the ball go into the net and just loving that about soccer. And it would probably what made me fall in love with the sport at a young age is just scoring a goal and just having that exhilaration and like running down the field and being all happy. And that's what I remember most. Just just the the doing that, the act of scoring a goal, because it's not like basketball where this score 40, 50 points in a game when you play. In soccer games, you might that might be the only goal of the game. So when you have that rush of scoring that goal, it'll hook you and kind of make you just thirsty for more goals, I feel yeah. like. That's what I remember it doing for me. I imagine they're even more rare than touchdowns in, in American football, and, and so therefore all the more cathartic. Exactly. I'm picturing just a, a tiny pipsqueak-sized Matt throwing his <laughs> arms in the air and Gliding across the the turf on his knees. Um, I just I remember you soccer. Everybody had to take turns playing goalie, and anytime I was in in the, in net, I was like annoyed that I couldn't be out there trying to score. It's, just, <laughs> it's like I don't want to stand here. I want to be out there running after the ball. All right, we move to question number two, Matt. You get to go first this time, and the question has to do with artificial turf. There have been certainly advances made in artificial turf in recent years, but studies seem to show that grass tends still to be better when it comes to mm -hmm. safety pace of play and everything like that but what are your thoughts Matt should we continue to strive for the perfect artificial turf or will you always prefer grass no get rid of it I hate it I want artificial I want I want real grass in every stadium on every baseball field uh, on every <laughs> soccer field I, I I can't stand artificial turf and it's it's become an epidemic I mean with with torn ACLs and bad and foot and, and I get why universities do it I get it's more cost effective probably because you don't have to pay for landscaping and you sure. don't have to pay I mean I get why but it's horrible, and there's a reason why world the World Cup needs to be played on real grass. I mean, these these elite players do not want to be playing on turf, and it's 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 like an injury waiting to happen. There's I don't think there's any give. There's those little pellets, uh, pellets underneath yeah. that are just ridiculous. They you know it's I just think it's gross. So you get these beautiful places like where you get tons of sun and the grass could grow beautifully, and you get, you're playing on artificial turf. Mm. I, I just I've never liked it. I've never liked it in baseball. I've never liked it in soccer, I, football. I, it's got to go. Jeff, your thoughts on that? Got to be. I, I got to say, I'm on the opposite side of the coin. Wow. Not that I'm wow. a huge uh, artificial turf fan. I just think it's a necessity, especially if, if you're living in the Northeast, hmm. New England. And I just we're we're training indoors for six months. Yeah. Without artificial turf, we're we're certainly we're certainly on. What are we on? <laughs> I mean, right. Like, 
the old AstroTurf. I, right. I, the new iteration of, of artificial turf is at least better than that. And I and I know that because I played college soccer against Bentley on their field hockey field and King State when it was on the just and it, it's it's not a great surface. So listen, I think it's an I don't want to call it an evil. I think it's just a necessity. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I mean, when, when we could all farm and have fantastic grass fields, it right. would be something. But it's just that's not something that's even remotely possible. And I think, and I think of a, a story like Masco, which is Masconomet, the school system, which is in our in our region. Their their surface that they usually play soccer on is their football field in the stadium, and it's it's fifty eight yards wide, and it's just it, it doesn't look good good from afar, and it's and it's far from good. And they've been desperate to get a turf field mm-hmm. in for the quality of the surface alone, and not to not to kind of paste over the 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 potential health risks and and injury hazards. And I would assume that they're not not a, a massive amount. I mean, there's, but I just think if Masco had a had a turf field, it would it would certainly service their community better than playing. They had to actually farm out and try to go go out of the district to play even their playoff games this year. So, yeah, I'm on the opposite side of the coin. Not because I love turf, I'd take a grass field for myself to play on any day of the week. But you're not going to find it in February outside Massachusetts, so I, I think it's just a necessity. Yeah, Jeff. I, I mean, I that's definitely more. Pra- I mean, the practicality and just the the fundamental reasons of why people have tariff. I totally. I, I'm I'm with you on that. I totally get it, especially in the Northeast. It's just aesthetically and just natural grass just looks so much better. It's just so much more it's more natural. I mean, I and I know I'm like I'm like and this is like utopian thought for me to be like, oh, let's just all have this beautiful natural grass. It would never happen. I mean, it can't happen in upstate vermont in january how that how, how i think i think the world agrees grass is better than yeah, turf right not not the duggan duggan junior high school in springfield massachusetts right well very good last question for extra time as it happened last year miriam webster the dictionary company put out a tweet that noted that the word soccer was originally british slang for association football which seems to kind of put the word soccer back on the Brits and say, we're not misusing it here in uh, America. You guys came up with it in the first place. So my question, and Jeff, you get to go first on this, is uh, football versus soccer, will this debate ever end? And do you care? <laughs> I, I, I knew, the, I knew the, the, uh, the origin story of, of soccer for, from association football from, from way back. And I'm an American born in Springfield, Massachusetts in 1972, played soccer my whole life. I called it soccer my whole life. I'm an American. It's, it's soccer. Never <laughs> had any problem. Never had any problem with it. Wow. Mic drop. All right. Matt, your thoughts? 100% agree. I'm on, I'm on, I mean, I get on my soapbox about this all the time. Part of our problem with soccer in this country is we get this like pretentious thing where like we got to call it football like everyone else. And we got to do it. We got to like use terms that like people don't want to hear us. Like just talk about the sport normal and like, College soccer, that's what we call it. Talk more. I think soccer people, soccer fans, need to talk more in layman's terms when discussing their sport to other people. If you get on, like, your high horse and you call it football and you say, that, like, you're losing more people. Because as people, you know, let the sport speak for itself. It's a great sport. I mean, on television, it's a great sport. There's no no commercial breaks. I mean, we don't have to fancy ourselves as these holier-than-thou people when talking about it. Just call it soccer. That's what we call it in, in this country. And and bring as many people into the sport as we can and, and try to create as many fans of the sport as we can. Well, the debate may rage elsewhere, but here it seems to be settled <laughs> yeah. here on, on the Gold Podcast. So yes. 
Uh, we, love, we love soccer. That's right. Great job by both of you. I'm sending out a gorgeous new area rug for you. But the, <laughs> but the, uh, the bad news is it's made of artificial turf. Oh, so, oh man. So the pellets are going to be everywhere. Oh man, we can do we can do some one v one some individual training yeah. on it. Just gonna make sure I don't tear my ACL getting the remote. <laughs> but Jeff, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know I know, like you said, this is a, every day is busy right now, and you guys are gearing up for a, for a busy twenty twenty four. So definitely appreciate the time. Sounds like great things are happening at Aztec. Thanks for having me, Matt. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks again to Jeff Winterton for joining the podcast. I'm Matt Langoni. Thanks for listening. New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast is produced by David Yaz and is a Siemens Media production. You've been listening to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to our podcast. Or visit anysoccerjournal.com forward slash podcast. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful.